Good evening. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, and today we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is There is a Solution, and our speaker tonight is Donna C. Thank you, Donna. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm Donna B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Bulimic. Um, thank you to everyone who has your camera on. And for those who feel comfortable, I always welcome um, seeing faces as it helps me to feel more comfortable. Um, I'd like to think I'm somewhat funny. And so when I see smiles and nods, it's sort of encouraging for me. Um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of background um, about me um, as it relates to my disease of compulsive overeating and bulimia. Um, but also in the context of there's a solution um, before I dive um, directly into the book. I came into OA um, in 2001. Um, I was 26 at the time. Um, apparently that qualifies me as a perpetual young person in Overeaters Anonymous because I came in as a young person, I get to remain a young person um, in perpetuity. So that's very exciting. Um, I, um, had been binging and purging for many years, um, and by all external circumstances, I mean, I looked pretty normal. Um, I had completed a master's in business on a full scholarship at the university of Miami in Florida. I'd been recruited by a company, um, in Denver, Colorado with a great starting salary, great benefits. Um, the whole works. And um, when I got here, um, my weight was kind of at a normalish point. Um, my weight has always, for my whole life, had gone up and down and up and down. Um, I began, um, my food was restricted on my behalf starting at the age of four. Um, I remember Mrs. Beverly in the yellow room at the JCC um, preschool, the Jewish Community Center. She told me that I could not have seconds on potatoes um, because my mom said I was too fat. And when I verified that memory with my mom, my mom said, yes, that's true. You were in fact way too fat to have seconds on potatoes. Um, and that was kind of the nature of how things went. Um, with my mom. Um, and if it weren't for Al-Anon, she'd probably still be speaking to me in that way. Um, and I'm 46. Um, so when I came into OA, um, I never left the rooms. I always had a sponsor. I always went to meetings and I always worked the steps as they were made available to me. Um, and that evolved with time. Um, I sometimes hear disparaging comments about regular OA or traditional OA or, you know, OA literature. Um, and I don't think that I wasted any time or energy or lost anything in the process of my time in the rooms. Um, just more was revealed, more was revealed. So when I came in, I was told to abstain from alcohol, sugar, and refined flour, to make three phone calls a day, um, to go to three meetings a week, 
Um, I was given like 144 questions to answer, um, something of that nature. Um, and I went on, you know, on that course um, from my highest weight, um, I lost and maintained about 30 pounds for most of my career in OA, um, which put me, you know, right. BMI is not the best measure. I'm not going to advocate or politicize that in any way, but my BMI was, you know, right at 25, which is right on the border between, um, um, overweight and, um, more normal, whatever that means. Um, And a lot of good things happened in my life. I got married. Um, I had children. I traveled all over the world. I um, found a career that I that I stayed with that I've been at since 2007. Which prior to that, I had been changing jobs every year. Um, my relationships were pretty good. Um, but what I found was that I, I didn't really feel a connection to a higher power. And I certainly didn't feel like I was well. Eventually I was introduced to the big book. Um, and it was at that time that I learned about alcoholic food ingredients. And I learned much more about the nature of the problem, um, the twofold nature, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. So rather than just abstaining from the foods people told me to abstain from, I was able for the first time to really identify what were my personal alcoholic food ingredients, which certainly overlapped with a lot of what had been told to me over the years. Um, but also helped me to identify foods um, that were getting in the way of my ability to have long-term back-to-back entire abstinence. So I began to abstain from these alcoholic food ingredients. I worked through all 12 steps entirely abstinent as I understood it to be at that time. During those years, I continued to volume eat. So every three to four weeks, I would have an episode of volume eating um, where I would eat just a huge amount of food that was not on my alcoholic food ingredient list. I could eat a Costco-sized bag of frozen blueberries. I could eat a Costco-sized platter of smoked salmon. And um, many of you, although there aren't very many familiar faces here, but maybe on the line you've heard me share, I'm the one who shares the story about the night I ate an entire chuck roast. And because I'm married, I call that night my menage a trois. It was me and Chuck, and then it was my husband, Mark and I. So that was a threesome. And this carried on for years. I sponsored, I was sponsored. I went to meetings. I listened to meetings. I mean, I really I didn't feel amazing, but my life was certainly a lot better from which it came. Um, what persisted was a desire to die. I had never 
I, ha I have never had a plan. I have never attempted to take my life. I have never um, caused myself harm beyond the harm of an eating disorder um, or physically harmed another person. But day after day, I would wonder, you know, when is this going to be over? Like, you know, how much more of this can I take? And so I learned the difference between, um, you know, being suicidal and just being sort of disengaged, disinterested in this thing called life. Um, I worked with a big book sponsor who was a man at one point, And he said to me, he, he just couldn't understand. He's like, Donna, if I told people about your life, it sounds like science fiction. People would be lining up in the streets to have your life, to have your job, to have your spouse, to have your kids, to have your home. It's, it, it sounds unbelievable. And I knew that. And I made gratitude lists and I wanted to be grateful and I committed to being grateful. Um, but it just was this sort of undercurrent of like, I'm, I'm just done. And uh, eventually I met a woman um, who said to me, Donna, you have nothing. You have no recovery. You have no abstinence. You have no consciousness of a power greater than yourself. You have nothing. You have been volume eating for the last 17 years and thinking that you're going to get more than what you already have. You're not. And she said, here's the deal. You're going to get a nutritionist who's going to put you on a weight maintenance food plan. There's no urgency here. Um, you're going to adhere to that food plan without exception. If you should ever want a bite more, that is the disease. Volume eating is the mental obsession and it is killing you and it is robbing you of even a single promise that this big, big book has to offer you. So I wanna share that those first few months were very hard, very hard. I learned that my disease talks to me in two sentences. It says, Donna, have a cucumber or Donna, have an apple. It never ever says to me, which I'm, my story is going on so long. I hope I can get into the book, but in there's a solution. They talk about how we cannot remember. We just can't remember. So even though I've heard those sentences, Donna, have a cucumber, Donna, have an apple, hundreds and hundreds of times, and where did it lead me? It just got me into the kitchen to eat an apple or a cucumber or both. But that was just like the opening seal. That was just like the opening event, you know, for the night. You know, there was there was fun in store, right? I mean, Chuck and, you know, Ben and Jerry and all, you know, all kinds of like fun guys lived in my kitchen. And um, I started to text people, I want to volume eat. And I would text one, two, three, five, 10, 20 people until somebody wrote me back and said, I see you. And I would post it on message boards and I would make phone calls 
And I understood for the first time in my life that once that thought that happens to sound very innocuous in my head about a cucumber or an apple comes into my head, I am as good as dead. Because really, how long can a person live with a desire to die without a plan? I mean, eventually it was going to catch up on me. I had a commitment to tell my husband anytime I had the thought, I want to die. He would say, do you have a plan? I would say, no. He'd say, go to your room and wait till you feel better. That was the best I could do. That, the, those were my tools. So the first few months were hell. I felt like I was dying. And what I want to say is that I thought that that was evidence of a lack of a higher power working in my life. Why would this power that other people were talking about, this power that is loving and caring and holding their hands and walking over rainbows together and like, I don't know, jumping through clouds and doing cartwheels together. Why was that God torturing me? Like I've been here for 17 years. I'm doing the best I fucking can. I've done everything everyone has ever told me to do and asked me to do. And I've done it to the best of my ability. Now I meet this fucking woman in Buffalo, New York, who tells me for 17 years, I've accomplished shit, nothing, nothing. And, I, and I've got to like do this thing where I actually adhere to a blueprint without exception. And I need help. I needed a lot of help. And in the absence of having a reliance on a power greater than myself, the human beings in this room really served a very important purpose for me. And I wanna say something a little bit controversial. Um, in There's a Solution, it tells us, it starts with the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news. That has not been true for me. The moments of which I have seen brotherly and harmonious action in the rooms of OA, when we start talking about alcoholic food ingredients, when we start talking about food plan, when we start talking about higher power, when we start talking about, do you have to be abstinent before you work the steps or can you start working the steps before you're abstinent? You know, which piece of literature and what, you know, um, it hasn't always been butterflies and rainbows. There are differing opinions, a lot of differing opinions. Find somebody who has what you want and ask how it was achieved. One of the most important suggestions in There's a Solution, in my opinion, is where it says, if you are a compulsive overeater, the real compulsive overeater, and you want to get over it, you may be asking, what do I have to do? That is such an important question, right? When Bill looked across the table at Ebby, and Ebby said, forget your musty past. Forget it. Thank you, Amy. I see that. Forget your musty past. Like, Ask me what I did. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you how I got out of it. So grab onto someone who has what you want and just do what they tell you to do. 
and be open to that changing, right? I wanted different things. And so I worked with different people. I was willing to take different instructions from different people until I got to where I am today, which I didn't mention. I have been entirely abstinent by the definition of that fucking crazy lady in Buffalo for over four years. So thank you, Buffalo. Um, and okay, so I wanted to say that it's not always going to be brotherly harmonious action. And I wanted to say, um, let's talk about the solution, right? Which is born out of the question. I know I have a problem. I understand the problem from the previous chapters. I've been through the doctor's opinion. And the most important question is, what do I have to do? How can I be like you? How can I get what you got? Um, and I think that it doesn't matter who you attach to initially, but to just keep asking, um, what is it that I want? How do I get there? What do I see that other people have? Do I want to be amongst the people who kind of still contemplating dying? Or am I witnessing people who really want to live? And what attracted me to this woman in Buffalo, she had the opposite of my science fiction life. She was divorced. Her husband was not paying child support. She was raising two children by herself. She had no college degree. She was working as a cleaning woman. She had got, while trying to vomit, got a spoon stuck in her esophagus and had to have it surgically removed. But she was living in neutrality. Her life was so fucked up that if it worked for her, like there was no suggestion she would make that I would not follow. Because I guarantee you, I have never had a utensil surgically removed from any of my body parts. I have had a hysterectomy and I have had a breast reduction and lift. Okay, so organs removed, utensils, not. Um, I referenced this part in um, that I was going to read in italics about how we have absolutely no memory of the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. This is a disease of forgetting. Um, and so I know I want an apple. I want a cucumber. My life is at stake. I'm as good as dead. And I don't mess around. And all these years later, I still do exactly what I did over four, five years ago. I text people. Thank you, Amy. I call people. I put it on message boards. I am never, ever alone with this disease. Um, okay. So there's a solution, right? I never got to God. I got two minutes according to Amy, one minute according to my clock. Um, I am agnostic. I do not have a concept of God, but I have an experience of God. And I experienced that higher power from the beginning. What did Miss Buffalo tell me? She said, from the beginning, you get on your knees every morning, you ask God, keep me sober and abstinent. And if you go to bed and you remain sober and abstinent, thank you, God, for keeping me sober and abstinent. And that is a fucking miracle. And that was enough to show me that there was a power 
working in my life, doing for me what I could not do for myself. Because for 17 years uh, in the rooms, I wanted to die. I was spending the night with Chuck. Um, and I was volume eating, I mean, unbelievable quantities of food. Um, and so today, my concept of a higher power is it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And I'm comfortable with mysteries. I don't like surprises. And I certainly like to rely on my best thinking when I can get away with it, which does not happen very often. But all I've got, my conception is it's a mystery. And with that, that's my time. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. I'm, not, not, I'm, I'm awesome, but thank you for your laughing and your nodding and your emojis and all that. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Three cheers for Buffalo. We do have a certain kind of energy here. Okay, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares, as this is a big book study. Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone. And the Zoom host, Sharon, will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Amy, would you please set your timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker has asked a question, we will allow three minutes for the answer. All right, your show, Sharon. Thanks, Melissa. Hi, I'm Sharon, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, in Los Angeles. And the first name that I see is Liz B. Um, Liz, if you could unmute, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. That was awesome. <laughs> Wait, I lost you. Oh, there you are. <laughs> um, I So I have a question for you. Um, so I'm also agnostic. And um, so I'm just wondering when you say that your higher power is like a mystery, how do you um, kind of like work that with the program in terms of like um, connecting with your higher power and kind of um, uh, like surrendering that kind of stuff? So how do, that's kind of where I am stuck a little bit. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, thank you, Liz. That's a great question. Um, this is a program of rigorous action. And there is no action that necessitates a belief in God by any traditional um, conceptualization of that word God. Every single action, in my opinion, in my experience, can be taken um, based on the willingness and the belief that it will work. So, in a sense, um, as an agnostic where I may not have faith, I have hope and somehow that's good enough. Um, I would also say that I have a very rigorous prayer and meditation practice. So I do step 11, despite not knowing where my prayers are going to, um, I meditate twice a day for 20 minutes each time. 
Um, and I pray, I still, every morning, God, please keep me sober and abstinent at night. Thank you, God, for keeping me sober and abstinent. And all throughout the day, anytime I have a thought about food or weight or exercise or anything, God, please relieve me of the obsession with food, like a mantra over and over and over again. Um, so even prayer doesn't require me to believe in anything specific. Um, it's just an action of surrendering. It's a way of saying, I, I need help. Thank you. Thank you for the question and um, the answer, Donna. Thank you so much. Next, we have Ian F. Uh, Ian, go ahead and unmute, please. Hey, y'all. Ian F., compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Donna. I love your vibe. I also very much appreciate you putting a pronunciation guide on your uh, name tag because I would have totally butchered it. Um, so many things I relate to. I think um, one of my favorite definitions of, of faith uh, is, this, is the feeling that every, everything is going to be okay. Just period. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and when you were, when you personified that voice of the disease in your head, and it made me think about, you know, for me, that voice always said, you know, you can eat whatever you want in the kitchen, as long as you run it off, you know, you eat this many calories, you exercise that many calories off, you do whatever, you know, it's like, as long as you, you know, X, whatever, you're going to be okay. Not, I'm going to be okay. Um, and that's kind of what has been with my higher power, with my program personally. The disease is I'm going to be okay as long as I do X unachievable thing. <laughs> and my recovery has always been, you're going to be okay. Now do this. <laughs> um, and, and having that space is, is so, so beautiful and living in that space is, is unlike anything I could have ever imagined. Um, and I, um, talking about people having what you want, like that, that peace in the eyes or like that, um, gentleness in the voice, whatever. I mean, you have all that. It's, it's wonderful to see and, and hearing you speak is just a joy. So with that, I will pass. Thank you, Ian. Uh, next, uh, I see Amy B. Thank you, Sharon. And um, thank you also to Melissa P. And, and everybody doing service here tonight. And especially thank you, Donna, for your wonderful lead, Amy B. Um, compulsive reader, living very gratefully in a recovered state today. Um, I, I loved everything that you said. Um, I loved the call out that um, it doesn't always feel like harmony. Um, uh, I loved, oh, I especially love the bit about go have an apple or go have a cucumber is it sounds innocuous. I, I'm sorry if I'm putting words in your mouth, but like what I heard, it sounds innocuous, but it's that very first, I want to take my will back. It's that very first, like hidden, hidden in a, in a, in a good idea or what, what feels like it could just be disguised as a good idea. 
ooh, that really, that really um, uh, hit me. So I have a question, which is when you have that disguised as a good idea or that mental twist or however you express it, do you have like a concrete um, best practice or little things that you use to trigger yourself to, to move away from the dishonesty or um, just uh, just like, what do you say to yourself in that moment? Um, if you have anything, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Um, I first say the prayer, God relieve me of the obsession with food. Um, and I start with my inner circle texting. Um, I want to volume eat. It usually happens between eight and 10 PM. Um, it's usually accompanied by a feeling of emptiness and, um, you know, this is a disease that centers in our mind. And I, what I've learned through a friend of mine, he used to always say to me, every time you text me when you want to volume me, he said, I, I think you just need to go to bed. I think you're just tired. And so I've learned, you know, like part of this mental illness is that the wires get crossed. And so what comes out as I want to eat may be I'm tired but I never want to go to sleep when I feel that way. Because when I feel empty, I feel like I'm entitled to something exciting, something filling, something satiating, something, something life-giving, not just like go to bed and be in a coma and see, see what happens the next day. Um, so I, I pray, I start messaging people, and then I often drag my ass to bed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Amy. And thank you, Donna. Um, I saw Denise's hand raised and I'm not sure if it accidentally got lowered or if she is uh, unable or had to leave. So please let me know if you still wanted to share. And then I, um, Okay, there, I see your hand. Okay, go ahead, Denise. Uh, hold on. You can unmute. Are you there, Denise? You can unmute. Yeah, I'm there. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your presentation tonight, Donna. Um, it was so it just really spoke to where I am today. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been in the program a long, long time, and I'm just experiencing my first real, what I would say, um, experience with abstinence. And I really, really credit this, this wonderful um, new bloom that's happened in the program. Uh, working with different, um, with just, you know, since COVID and having all of the, um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't talk tonight, but the point is <laughs> I wanted to know, um, how long did it take you before you really got to the point where you could take that pause before you would go for the cucumber or the apple? Thank you, Janice. Once I started working with my sponsor in Buffalo, 
It wasn't a question or of pause or no pause. I had a food plan from a nutritionist that was weight maintenance. There was absolutely no reason ever, 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 ever for me to eat even a bite in excess of my food plan without the acknowledgement that it was my disease. And I do wanna take a moment here, going back to that um, issue of not always there being brotherly and harmonious love in the rooms. Being more than four years abstinent and still texting 20 people and going on message boards and saying, I want to volume eat, there is pushback. There are people who will say, you're not living in neutrality. You have no higher power. How can you still want to eat? Is this the best you can do? Um, and what I want to say to that is that I am a real compulsive overeater. And the disease just runs so deep inside of me. Um, it has saved my life to reach out to people. Why would I stop? Why would I stop doing that out of pride, out of shame? And there were women, I will tell you, four and a half years ago, who contacted me and said, you are not recovered. We need to talk to your sponsor. And I call those women the recovery tribunal. I don't know where they are today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, um, uh, Denise and Donna. Uh, let's go ahead now to Melissa P. Beautiful, okay. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Donna. Also, I super appreciate the nods to Buffalo because um, my little city is hurting right now. So it, it gives me strength and there are no coincidences that like you keep mentioning